Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hashtag Uh This is episode 30, um, and uh, I thought uh, this is something that I have been trying to articulate in my mind um, for so long, and I have been wanting to speak about this for so long because it is something that I am passionate about now. I often write about it, I often speak about it, but it's just that I've just not been able to articulate it quite right uh, until I came across an article uh, today that a cousin of mine posted on Facebook. And um, it's an article from uh, June 2017, and it is by Guy Savo Heleta. And. Um, I must just say that um, over the years, I have met um, some of the most wonderful, wonderful human beings, um, people that share the same sentiments, people that share the same passions, people that uh, want to bring about change in our communities, in our societies, and um, yes, specifically talking about white people. Um, you know, back when uh, I finished school in 1989, uh, it was foreign for us, and that was a mere 30 years ago. It was foreign for us to be, um, you know, socializing with white people. It was absolutely foreign. I often joke that uh, the only place as far as we could go was the Galvandale Bridge and those that live in Port Elizabeth know in the northern areas Galvandale Bridge is almost like the, the border uh, because beyond that you you step into uh, uh, in inverted commas white territory and we never used to venture beyond that uh, on, a, on, on social uh, on, on social errands. We, we didn't visit uh, any of the suburbs. We, that was just places that we didn't go. So, um, so and over the years, I've met uh, some of the most wonderful, wonderful activists and people that share my politics and people that share my sentiments and uh, really fight hard for equality and just to make this place a better place to, to live in. And... Uh, and, and, and I see you guys and I recognize you guys for what you've done. And also um, some people of late that have come on board with the Black Lives Matter movement, that have uh, worked hard to educate themselves, that have asked questions, that have really wanted to find out more about Black Lives Matter and, and that actually took the time to go and to actually go and research and find out what it's about and actually realized just um, just what 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 it means and also recognize how the system still perpetuates itself in South Africa. Now, this article is called White Privilege and Hypocrisy in South Africa by Sabo Haleda. And I'm going to read it. Many white South Africans are doing all they can to maintain racial inequalities and white privilege. It is a re recipe for disaster. Hopefully they get it before it is too late. The first time I went to a white farm in South Africa was in 2005. I was a study abroad student at Port Elizabeth on South Africa's east coast. I was part of a group of 26 students from the United States. 
We visited a few large white-owned farms in the rural Eastern Cape. The experience was eye-opening and shocking at the same time. The farmers treated us, a bunch of white foreign students, very well. They fed us great food, showed us around and gave us lots of brandy and beer to drink. They also felt like they could be open with us, fellow whites, talking about the good old days and pointing out the failures of democracy. They kept complaining how the economic situation was difficult, how they weren't making any money, how their children had no hope in Sierra and South Africa and had to emigrate to Australia. The most shocking experience for me was to see that nothing had changed for the black people living in the area and working on these farms. Black people were nothing more than servants. We never had a chance to talk to them, to ask them questions about their living conditions. They lived in small, dilapidated houses far away from the posh spaces reserved for the whites. We could see them from a distance working on the farms and in the kitchens, but they seemed afraid to talk to us, as if by instruction. They were basically shadows. I went back to the same area just over two years ago. Things were the same. Nothing. And I really mean nothing had changed. White farmers showed us around, bragging about all the land, hills and mountains they own, stretching as far as the eye can see. They also told us, while hosting us in their large and luxurious houses, about their difficult economic situation and how it was hard to break even. The irony didn't seem obvious to them. Black workers were still invisible, living in absolute poverty, nothing but shadows existing in the white-controlled environment, where the old rules, written some time ago, officially gone, but still around, remained the order of the day. We never had a chance to speak to them, to ask them how they were surviving on about a thousand five hundred rand per month. That's about a hundred and ten US dollars, which is the average pay for black farm workers in South Africa. When I read about the hashtag Black Monday protest last week. I keep thinking about those farms I visited, the past and present power dynamics and the struggles of the black farm workers who are treated as subhumans on a daily basis. While the whites in South Africa lost political power in 1994, they kept the stronghold on the economy. Some of them had to publicly speak in front of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission about horrible, horrific torture murders and savage crimes they committed during apartheid and in order to receive amnesty. But all of them basically got a free pass for centuries of dehumanization, exploitation and horrific crimes committed by them or in their name. All the while, black people were expected to get over their unthinkable suffering at the hands of the racists, forgive them and move on. There was no justice. There were no reparations. The political philosopher Richard Badauser writes that, in uh, open quotes, the grace bestowed on the oppressors has not been extended to the oppressed, close quotes. Or, as the Ugandan political scientist Mohammed Mamdani summarized the, the outcome of the TRC for white South Africans, and he quotes, because the TRC focused on perpetrators and overlooked the beneficiaries of mass violations of rights, of rights abuses, such as the past laws and enforced expulsions, it allowed the vast majority of white South Africans to go away thinking that they, had that they had little to do with these atrocities. Indeed, most did learn nothing new. The alternative would have been for the TRC to show white South Africans that no matter what their political views, whether they were for, against, or indifferent to apartheid, they were all its beneficiaries, 
whether it was a matter of residential areas where they lived, the jobs they held, the schools they went to, the taxes they did or did not pay, or the cheap labor they employed. Close quote. The historical inequalities and structural barriers rooted in the racist settler colonial oppression and dispossession remain part and parcel of South Africa's social fabric today and continue to keep most black people trapped in inequality and poverty. Crime in South Africa is shocking and mind-blowing. According to recent, re recent release crime statistics, there, are, there have been over 19,000 murders and more than 140,000 aggravated robberies in the country in the past year. Per day, South Africans experience on average 52 murders and 50 attempted murders. During this time, there were 71 farm murders in 2016 and 65 farm murders in 2017. However, instead of focusing on murder and violent crime in the country, which mostly affect black and colored South Africans, the hashtag Black Monday protesters grieved over the white farmers and the whites in general while showing complete disregard for the struggles of black people and displaying what Peter House calls an open quotes isolationist victim mentality, close quote. They have been doing this since 1994, bombarding the country with a white nationalist propaganda that highlights the fears, anxieties, fragility, and nervousness of whiteness and whites while neglecting the dehumanizing uh, the rest of the country, as Isonke Simang recently pointed out. Despite all the rhetoric from the protesters and the oppos opposition Democratic Alliance, hashtag Black Monday protests weren't about all victims of crime or even about everyone in the farming industry. It was about white fragility, white tears and white safety and security in post-apartheid apartheid South Africa, as Mabojo More calls the country. According to Gillian Gotso, a lecturer at the Witt School of Governance, the hashtag Black Monday protests weren't about showing grief about the farmers. Rather, it was display of grief about change in this country. For the hashtag Black Monday crowd, all lives didn't matter, not in the past and not today. For many whites, blacks, black and white South Africans aren't the same when it comes to persons, work and contribution. Whites built this country in commerce. They like to say they ran the country well before 1994, when everything worked and they were safe on their farms and in their suburbs. They still work hard and pay taxes. They are special, superior God, God's people. Blacks, on the other hand, are lazy, entitled, unruly, corrupt, violent, criminal, uncivilized. They have ruined, ruined everything since 1994. Thus, the contributions and lives of white farmers who work hard and feed the nation matter more than black lives. This is why they think they deserve special protection from the government and police. Many protesters showed unreserved contempt for black people. They sang the apartheid anthem. Some came with their old apartheid flags, clearly missing the times when racism and white supremacy were the law of the land. Some yearned for the good old apartheid days when whites were safe and protected by the government. Others had banners that read, don't kill the hand that feeds you, and no boor, no pup. In both instances, white farmers are seen as the producers of food, the blacks are the killers and or unable to produce food or anything else on their own. The message on the banners is clear. Without the white saviors, black South Africans have no chance in life.
The hardships experienced daily by millions of black South Africans don't bother most whites in the country. For one, the large majority of whites never join their fellow black South Africans or offer them any kind of sympathy or support when, the, when they protest against inequality, exclusion, crime, racism, lack of service delivery and other adverse, adversities. When black people protest demanding basic services, they are seen as violent, good for nothing by most whites. This, despite the fact that most of the protests by black South Africans are peaceful. Black kids demanding safe schools are seen as a nuisance. University students demanding affordable education is not rooted in a colonial and apartheid system. Dehumanizing, dehumanization, othering and lies are, un, are ungrateful thugs. When black workers demand to be demand to be paid living wage so they can escape poverty and support their families, they are not seen by much of white South Africa as fellow citizens and human beings who have genuine and legitimate grievances and needs, but as senseless hooligans bent on destruction. They, the blacks, are at it again, protesting, disrupting, destroying, burning. They just know they just don't know any better. I've heard this too many times. Whenever black South Africans are pushed over the edge by their daily struggles, often having no other option but to go to the streets and fight for their rights and basic services. The police did nothing to clear out the hashtag Black Monday protesters from the roads and highways. No stun grenades, no rubber bullets, no violence against protests. This is not surprising. South African police is known for shooting at black South Africans at breaking up protests, often indiscriminately and with overwhelming force and violence, whether with rubber or real bullets. But the same never happens when whites protest. A case in point is a student protest outside Parliament in Cape Town in October 2015. While black students were beaten by the police, shoot with rubber bullets and trampled on, their fellow white students' protests moved freely in the same space with no one touching them. This was white privilege in action for everyone who cared to see. The, the Rainbow Nation, where everyone has a chance to make it in life through hard work, is a fallacy. In this fantasy land, historical and structural inequalities don't exist and post and past doesn't matter anymore. As a saying at many white prize goes, it's been more than two decades since the apartheid ended. How long will blacks complain about it? Everyone is equal now with the same chances and opportunities. What are they still complaining about? The reality is complete opposite. As a recent article in New York Times highlights, while South Africa has seen political change, apartheid has essentially persisted in economic form. The country remains a land of astonishing contrast and inequality is still largely based on race and centuries of racist looting and oppression. Instead of facing up to the difficult past and dismantling structural barriers that maintain the oppressive status quo, way too many white South Africans are doing all they can to maintain racial inequalities and white privilege. This is a recipe for disaster. Hopefully, they get it before it's too late. That was Savo Aleta writing in his personal capacity. So, hashtag, what can we do? Inequalities exist. Structural racism exists. <clears throat> and it's our responsibility to keep on highlighting these. Many, many, many people throw around corruption today. And yes, government is and has been 
absolutely pathetic for the last two decades, almost three decades. They have uh, plundered this this country under Zuma uh, and his ilk. They have continued, uh, and the current president seems uh, hamstrung to stop whatever is happening here. The fact of the matter is, if we stop corruption tomorrow, inequality will still exist. Fact. So hashtag Batano's doing. Let's continue. Let's continue this fight. Let's hold hands as white people, brown people, black people. Let's hold hands and let's fight together to stop the inequalities. Let's keep on speaking to one another. Let's have difficult discussions. We have to start with having difficult discussions. And if you don't know, if you don't know where to start, ask me. Ask anyone around you. People are willing to assist. My next podcast will be about white people. And this white people is spelled W-H-Y-T-E. So, uh, until next time, my name is Marvin Dry. If you want to chat to me, or debate, or share, or have a discussion with me, send me a WhatsApp, an email, a SMS. My cell number is 082-772-5578. My email is m.dry at mledsolutions.co.za. Cheers.